Reported by Giles Dooley, a photographer who three years ago lost his legs and an arm to a landmine in Afghanistan, Unreported World travels to Lebanon to reveal the plight of disabled Syrian refugees. Since fighting began, an estimated one and a half million people have fled, and one in five of them have a disability. The Lebanese government has been unwilling to allow permanent camps to be built, so many of these refugees live in makeshift tents. The Invisible People reveals the plight of some of the most vulnerable refugees, disabled people, many of them children. The war in Syria has thrown its neighbours into turmoil. Well over a million Syrians have fled here to Lebanon, where they now make up a quarter of the population. Many of them now live in hundreds of makeshift camps dotted across the landscape. Hi. <laughs> Hello, it's good to see you again. Aya is five years old. I've met her before in the spring. In fact, I was so moved by her situation, I had to come back to see how she is. Every time I see her, she always has a smile. Ah! <laughs> Aya was born with spina bifida, a condition that has left her paralysed from the waist down. <laughs> it's, it's not fair, I've only got one hand. It's good though, she looks, Aya looks very well. Thank God. She was very sick during Ramadan, but now she's better. Her family used to live comfortably in Syria. Her mother, Sian, was a teacher. Father Ayman ran a soap factory. Now, they live in a tent they built themselves on waste ground next to a cement plant. Where did you find this doll? In the rubbish? They fled Syria this spring after heavy fighting in their hometown of Idlib. We were in the house and bombs started falling. A barrel bomb fell nearby, so I had to pick up Aya and run. Her only duty was to carry Aya and run. It was the start of a terrifying journey. When we were driving to the village, a barrel bomb fell next to us. The car shook and Aya burst into tears. We carried on driving until we found somewhere to hide. Like many children with spina bifida, Aya is in a fragile condition. There was a month when she was sick all the time and her condition was getting worse. She gets sick because she has a tube in her head. The tube drains excess fluid from her brain. If it gets blocked, it could cause brain damage. In Syria, she saw a doctor every two weeks. But here, only emergency care is available free to refugees. Aya doesn't qualify for any further medical help. Every day, her future hangs in the balance. You need money to go to hospital, but I have to borrow money just to buy bread for my children. That's all I can do. Aya is prone to pressure sores. The concrete floor and lack of treatment is making things worse. Ayman, take the kids outside. I want to show them Aya's wound. I've just been shown 
the sore on Ai's back. It looks a lot worse to me than the last time I was here. It looks infected. Her mum has got no dressing, so she's basically using a t-shirt, folding that up and using it as a kind of padding. What I can't understand is why the most basic medical needs of somebody like Aya, who's so vulnerable, are simply not being met. Do you want me to cut it in half? She'll hurt herself. No, she won't. The United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, coordinates international efforts to help the refugees. But they've only received a third of the money they need to cope with this crisis. They give Aya's family food coupons of $140 a month, but the help stops there. Iman's making a mess again. She's making a mess again? Yes. Eamon and Sihan are worried they might be forced into a decision they dread. My fear is that I will have to put each of my children with different families and I will live only with my wife. One of the things that really struck me from when I first met them was, was the love in Aya's family. So it's pretty hard to imagine how bad the situation would be where Aya's father feels possibly the only way forward is for them to be separated from their children so their children can find somewhere else to live. Close your eyes. One, two... OK, open your eyes. You, I saw you. Iman, I saw you. The Lebanese government has refused to allow official refugee camps or any permanent structures to discourage the refugees from staying and upsetting the country's delicate sectarian balance. So these tents have to be built out of flimsy, temporary materials. These makeshift camps are the last option for the most desperate refugees. Living on the margins of society makes it hard for them to access even what little help there is. Today, I'm in the nearby city of Tripoli with the only charity that deals specifically with disabled people. This is Nadim from Handicap International. The charity says one in five Syrian refugees has a disability. We'll be with you in about 10 minutes. Nadim is a social worker who helps families get what help is available. Binan is a physiotherapist. Both are Lebanese. They are visiting Ahmed. He lost his legs after a rocket attack in Syria. Please come in. That's it. This, this brings back a lot of memories, but I have to say it's a lot more fun watching. He arrived in the country over two years ago, while there was still decent accommodation available, which the UN paid for. Actually, we have almost identical injuries. Despite his injuries, Ahmed has begun working as a volunteer with the UN helping other disabled refugees. Do you know a lot of people who need help? As a volunteer, I come across many Syrians who need help, and I like to bring their cases to you so that you can help them. Every day, he travels out to visit people in the neighbourhood. On a bike, he adapted himself. 
I added two wheels to balance the bike. And this bit here. This is for changing speed. Okay, so the big question, can I have a go? <laughs> okay, so it's one bike, two men, no legs. What's the worst that could happen? Well, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Ahmed has heard about another refugee in a similar situation to his own. Hello, Hassan. Hassan lost a leg 18 months ago in Syria when his town was shelled. How do you cope with the stairs? I can get down them, but I can't stand up for long. He's been waiting for a prosthetic leg for over a year. When I receive the prosthetic leg, I'll be able to use my hands again. When I'm using sticks, I can't do anything else. What is it? you're able to provide, what is it that you do? I can provide moral support to Hassan and I can give him the contacts to help get a prosthetic. Does it help you having Ahmed come around and talk things through with you? It makes you feel better when you meet someone who has a similar condition to yours. You know, I know for me, when I lost my legs, it was really a really dark time and I kind of lost all hope of, of really having a normal life. But it was visits by other amputees that inspired me and made me realize you could do a lot more. That's exactly what Hamed is doing here. Unlike Aya, who has lived with spina bifida since birth, Ahmed needed emergency help. Doctors in Syria transferred him to Lebanon just days after he was injured, with legs swollen and turning blue. The UN paid for his legs to be amputated and 17 follow-up operations. I felt very down when my legs were amputated, but then I decided that I would not be defeated, that it was not the end of the world. So I went out and started working. To me, you're a real success story. You're somebody that's, that's come here with, with, with terrible injuries and somehow you've managed to, to turn your life around. What's your secret? Faith in God. You're supposed to say it's my wife. <laughs> God sent my wife to cope with me. Day, I go with a handicap international team to see Safa, an 18-year-old refugee. Hello. Three years ago in Syria, Safa's heart stopped after an electric shock from a washing machine. The doctors revived her, but by then she was brain damaged. To help her breathe, she was given a tracheotomy. 
First put your hands on her chest. Watch how she breathes in and out. Her mouth is open, which means she's not feeling very well. But living in a tent where there's no proper sanitation, she now has an infection in her lungs. Binan is showing her mother, Rawaida, how to help her breathe. I don't press as hard as you. You must, otherwise nothing will come out. I'm scared of hurting her. You have to squeeze her ribcage for it to work. What's the difference between being in Syria and here? Back in our home, we sterilized a room for her for two days. Then we cleaned it before putting her back in. You can't sterilize anything in a tent. When, when I sit down, the only way I can do it is I fall. So please, please don't worry. I had a trichotomy. And I know how important it was to keep it very, very clean. That It had to be sterile at all times, because otherwise I could get lung infections. We spend all day looking after her. Many times a day, a fly crawls inside. Sometimes when she coughs, a fly comes out. Rawida fled with Safa from Kuzair, one of the areas of Syria that was hardest hit in the fighting. Shells were coming from every direction. Soldiers were everywhere. Finally, we had to leave because there were no more doctors. You must have been so desperately scared. Of course, sometimes we had to escape during the night. I had to carry her down the stairs from our home on the second floor. Sometimes I couldn't find anyone to carry her. I carried her. I just carried her. Now you've got here. How do you feel? Because obviously the situation is so desperate. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm very distressed. To be honest, seeing Safa is one of the worst situations I've seen. She's desperately in need of help. And she's struggling to breathe. She has a trachotomy. She has an infection in her lungs. And yet she's here in a shack that's made of cardboard on a concrete floor. The UNHCR says that the most vulnerable refugees will be provided with accommodation. Rawida says they've been promised a house, but there are none available. It's early in the morning in Ayers camp. The children are just getting up. Good morning. What are you going to do? I'm going to wash you. Do you want Iman to wash you? Yes. Come on, Iman. Every day, Ayers family washed the sore on her back, doing their best to keep the wound clean. Don't be scared, I'm holding you. She's not feeling so well today? No, she's sick. Do the, the children get sick a lot more here? Yes, mostly her and Aya. 
Have you washed your hands? No. Go and do it. I don't want to. You have to. It's not up to you. I've washed my hands. Sitting here with, with Aya and her family having breakfast is such a familiar scene. Watching a mother getting her kids up. They don't want to get up. They're sleepy. They're moaning. And yet, although the ritual looks the same, the reality is for these kids, there is no school. In fact, there's nothing for them to do. Sihan used to be a nursery school teacher. She continues to teach the children at home. What's this letter? B. That's right. Aya's father, Ayman, desperately wants to find a job. He ran his own business in Syria. But here, there are too many refugees and not enough work. Having had that role, it must be incredibly difficult for you now not to be able to work. It's very difficult. I feel useless. When I'm sitting at home without work, I might as well be a chair. Sihan heads off to the local shop. What do I need? Sugar. What are we buying? Why are you taking those? She finds it impossible to support her family on the money the UN provides. When the money runs out, they're forced to live on credit. You owe me a lot, over $200. I told you that I'll be paying some of it soon. If you're not patient with me, who will be? What happens if you can't find a way to pay this back, if you can't pay this debt? I don't know. I've no other solution. I'm hoping God will provide a job for my husband or me to settle the debt. She's been borrowing money from extended family since their savings ran out, but they are getting desperate. You can see our humiliation. You see your daughter dying and no one helps. In this camp, no one helps anyone. We didn't live like this in Syria. My children went to the best schools. We lived a happy life in Syria. I want to find out why refugees like Aya and Safa aren't getting the support they need. This is a waiting area for refugees who are coming to register with UNHCR. That means they're coming to identify themselves and to ask for assistance, and where we interview them to determine what are their needs and how we can best meet their needs. In the UNHCR Registration Centre, I meet the woman in charge, Nanette Kelly. What struck me when I was here last time is, is that I was meeting some of the, the very vulnerable refugees, and by that I mean children with disabilities, uh, single mothers with, with children, the elderly. And really it seemed that, that they were struggling, you know. I would be the first to tell you that what refugees are able to receive does not meet all their needs, not nearly so. With 30% of our budget funded, there's simply, it's, it's simply impossible for us to cover all the basic needs that we need to cover. If I think of, of Aya, who is a particular case that just, you know, I felt a, a connection with her and her family. I don't know what I was, should say to her when I go back. I feel so sad for them, so sad for their families, and also very sad for the frontline workers that have to be able to say, I'm so sorry, we feel your need, but we're just unable to do anything about it because we don't have the resources to do it. And it all comes back to where is the source of this problem? The source of this problem is the ongoing conflict in Syria that is 
wreaking havoc in this in this region, and that has torn apart so many lives with with devastating consequences to Aya and to others. Back in Tripoli, Rawida is feeding Safa. Do you want some water? Do you want some water? I have to make sacrifices for my daughter. Sometimes she coughs all night and I stay awake until the next day. What do you hope for in the future? What? To return to our country where my daughter will receive the treatment she needs. We can't find safety either in our country or outside. I don't want anyone else to suffer like me. Being a full-time carer is just one of the most demanding jobs you can possibly imagine, especially for somebody like Safa who needs 24-hour care. But to do it in these circumstances is, for me, beyond comprehension. I mean, they are in a living hell. When winter comes, it will bring storms and freezing temperatures. Aya's family are doing their best to get ready. Hold tight. Why didn't you fix it to the other side? I didn't want it here. So is this getting ready for the winter? There are many storms next to the sea, so we have to strengthen the tent so that it stays in one place. So we don't wake up and find that it's gone, flying. Mohammed, put rocks along the base, put it there. Why didn't you put it there? Every time I see her, Aya is like a, a shining light. She's always smiling. She must mean so much to all of you. She makes me feel that life is beautiful no matter what. She's stronger than she looks. There was no chance for her to survive, and yet she's still alive. The doctors in Syria expected her to live for only two months. But because she got good treatment, she's now five years old. This is really small. Sidra, give me a bigger rock. Do you think this is going to hold out against the winter? We will have problems with it. We don't know how it will be living next to the sea. I expect our tent will flood and we'll be swimming. How do you think Aya is going to cope with the winter? She can't cope with the cold weather. She has almost no chance of surviving if she doesn't get care or a warm house. Aya doesn't die. Aya doesn't die. Aya wants to live. The UNHCR are now working to find Aya and her family better accommodation. No one here wants to be a refugee. They've escaped the war only to be caught up in another humanitarian tragedy. 
With Lebanon overwhelmed and the outside world failing to do enough, it's the most vulnerable refugees who endure the worst suffering. The Unreported World podcast accompanies the critically acclaimed Channel 4 television series. Explore more by visiting channel4.com slash unreportedworld. Finally, get involved in Unreported World by joining the debate on Twitter and Facebook. Until next time, from me, Krishnaguru Murthy, goodbye. <laughs>